This is the Legacy Wealth Code Podcast, helping you build long-term wealth and a lasting legacy through real estate investing, tax strategies, and motivational stories from some of the most successful and influential people out there. Here are your hosts, real estate investor and entrepreneur, Michael Notbaum and real estate investor and attorney, Andrew Hook. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Legacy Wealth Code Podcast. As you can see... Sorry for the delay, but the reason is we were redoing the podcast studio. So here we are live on TV. A lot of pe people have said we have faces for radio, but uh, now you're going to have to see us uh, going viral suffer, here on the interweb. The, so Suffer through the pain. Yep. I got my partner here, Andrew Hook. And um, today we want to talk to you uh, really about underwriting deals, what it looks like, uh, how it can vary market to market. We get a lot of questions about, you know, hey, is this a good deal or a bad deal? So um, we're going to kind of walk through one that was just presented to us uh, about a week ago um, that we're going to likely move forward on and uh, just kind of go through how we look at it, what we're doing when we're underwriting it, and how it might vary from, you know, the area that it's in versus, you know, like a Miami or a Tampa or, a you know, an area that has huge growth on the appreciation side. Yeah, I think, you know, and I'm excited for this podcast because I feel like one of the things we talk about with investors and in 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 the course that we do too is people people get reticent about moving forward on a deal and it's almost like they're excited, they're excited, they're excited now they get presented and they're like get scared to pull the trigger, right? So, and I think it's natural. You know, you're you you want to make sure that what you're doing is is a good investment, of course. And so I think it'll be helpful for people to see kind of what are the metrics we look at, because at the end of the day, what we trust is our numbers, right? And, and that's the only thing that's the the constant that you can trust. And so um, I think it'll be helpful to, to kind of walk through this and see the things that we look at, you know, what's important, what's not important, what, what are good breaks versus bad breaks for us in the deal. Yeah. And I mean, I think for me, you know, one of the the best parts about dealing, you know, 99% of my business now in the investment space is that it's not emotional. So like the numbers is pretty much what we rely on. Mm -hmm. You know, we're looking at this deal. Um, and I, you know, I would say the first takeaway on analyzing a deal is understanding the market. Is this a market that five years from now you might see a 20 or 30% appreciation in the value? Or is it a market where you might see 2%? You know, there's a there's a ton of places in the country. Um, the deal we'll talk to you guys about today is is based out of Indiana, and there's a ton of different places in the country that are similar to rural Indiana. You've got Cleveland, Kansas City. You know, these markets are great from a cap uh, cap rate perspective. Mm -hmm. They're not great from you know it's probably going to be worth about what it's worth now ten years from now. Well, I was having a conversation with a lady the other day who is she's got. She's got a couple single family properties here in the Tampa Bay area, and she wants to sell those, pull her equity out and buy something that's a little larger that she can, uh, you know, she's recognizing her equity. She also wants to make sure that she's getting good cash flow off of it. And one of the things we were talking about was I said, you know, you can go to some of these areas where you might see the deal that we were talking about with Aaron the other day it was literally a 40 cap when you ran it on a gross yeah. number. Um, that... That is an incredible amount of cash flow, but you may not see appreciation in that market. And that that property may increase in value three percent a year, if that you know. And so, and you may even see them go backwards in some in some markets. It's not typical, which is which crazy might, too, because like yeah. we're talking about forty thousand dollars property getting twelve hundred dollars a month in rent. Yeah, but remember, I ran the the crime statistics. Yeah, uh -huh. and there's it's 
there's two more dangerous neighborhoods in the country. Like two out of a hundred are more right. dangerous than the neighborhood we're talking about. So you kind of, you know, that's really the driving factor of you're not going to see a lot of appreciation. Sure. Unless you see those things change. So you have to kind of think about what you're buying, right? Like you're, you, you're buying either appreciation in certain markets that are really hot or you're buying cash flow in other markets that aren't, but where you really hit these grand slams are where you can get in front of where's a market that is starting to take off or that is going to take off because now you're getting not only the cash flow, but you've also got the benefit of the appreciation and that's how you really hyper accelerate your wealth. All right. So, and I totally agree with that. So what do you think, um, you know, I, I know what my answer is, but I want I'm curious to hear what yours are when, when you think about trying to find those, uh, the unicorn, the diamond in the rough, those, those areas where you're going to get a, you know, 12 cap or 13 cap, but you're also going to see a pretty solid amount of appreciation. What do you think the couple major factors are? I mean, to me, it all comes back to the number one thing I think it comes back to is population growth, right? Um, in in what I look at when I when I see trends of population growth are, um, you know, what's tax friendly because that's a big it's a big promotion of population. Um, where is the climate good? Um, I mean, that seems to be especially as as the boomer generation is retiring out. That seems to be a big one. Um, where are industries going? I mean, that's huge as well because you know whether you follow the tech industry or whether you follow you know, manufacturing or auto, any of those, those, that type of stuff is going to, is going to drive population and, and is what's going to ultimately create the, you know, economics one of one, 101 of supply and demand, which is going to increase your prices. Yeah. What about you? What is, what's your answer? No, I was going to say, I mean, you, you did go with the old faithful supply and demand idea, you know, I mean, I know it's crazy, but <laughs> You know, I think that when you look at some of these, I know years ago, one of our real estate mentors um, had mentioned buying in Huntsville. And, you know, being from Auburn, I know Huntsville, you know, fairly well, been there a few times. And I'm like, man, Huntsville, why in the world would you do that? But I think it was a Kia or a Hyundai factory going in there yeah. and then SpaceX. So now you have this area where you're you're able to buy single family homes. I think they were like in the low 100s. Mm -hmm. That we're renting out for, you know, over $2,000 a month. So huge cap rate. And then on top of that, they're now worth $300,000, $400,000. This yeah. is only like five years ago, six years ago. And again, those are, those are the, the honey holes. Those are the, those are the grand slams you're going to find. And I mean, the, I look back at the conversation we were having about Arkansas about a year ago when we started digging into that market a little bit and, um, What's the town that uh, that Walmart's in? Yeah, it's like Northern Arkansas. Yeah, they, they have the huge ben, Bentonville. Benton, Bentonville. Yeah, Bentonville. That's where Walmart's based. Yeah, on, I think, but right? I yeah. mean, you look at a market like that, and it's it's those you, you have Walmart. You have I can't remember the trucking company that's there too, and you've got like three multi multi billion yeah. dollar companies that are headquartered in this area. And they're putting so much money back into that market. To I was going to say that's the world's longest like mountain biking trail. Yeah. So now Airbnb there is going crazy because people that are into mountain biking, they go there. And I think it's the Walton family that's behind a lot of that, yeah. um, you know, the trail being grown out. And it's a, I mean, it's that idea of you, you put money back into the community that you're in, you're going to attract more and more people that want to live there, right? And so those are kind of the characteristics I would say are so important to look at when you're thinking about, you know, location. And, and at the end of the day, uh, I mean, I, I think you're right. Location, location 
above and beyond anything other than your numbers yeah. is the number one thing I think you can look at with real estate. So so let's go through this deal that we're looking at. Um, it's, it's rural Indiana. Uh, Andrew and I flew up there on Sunday night. It was a delightful experience. You know, you got your couple hour delay thanks to the- It was a wild 24 the, hours. The Florida afternoon thunderstorms and then- a uh, couple hour delay on the way back. But, yeah. you know, I feel like we got a lot accomplished and it's the, what we got accomplished. I think I made the joke to you. I felt like we were on one of those reality shows where we have like 30 days to make a million dollars and we have, you know, somebody gave us 50 bucks to start with. So mm-hmm. we're going door to door talking to people. Cause that's really what we were doing. Yeah. We knew no one in this town except for the acquisition guy bringing us the deal. Yeah. Um, but we know what to look for. And I think that that's probably the most important part you know, going into an area blind is one thing, but if you don't know what you're looking for going into that area, that's where I think you can run into some risk. Yeah. And, you know, and, and when I say risk, to your point, I think a lot of people end up backing out of deals when they get to a hurdle that they don't feel comfortable, you know, moving past. And, it, you know, a lot of times that might not be a hurdle that should have killed the deal. Sure. But now you just, oh, I don't know about that and I'm, I'm out. Well, I think some of it also, it, it's your threshold, right? Like we kid about the fact that like, you would gamble on almost anything and I'm the other way. And, and together we have a pretty good voice of reason that meets <laughs> right. in the middle. And, and that's part of what our success What's all that is. One in a million talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but, but I think some of that's your threshold, but I think you're right as far as like, you know, and you got to have your line in the sand as to, as to, to what, what it is that is a deal killer for you, because not every deal is going to work. Right. Right. And so you have to have established that. But I think, as you get a little more sophisticated and as you do more and more deals, that line in the sand can move. And and that's fine. I mean, it's it, it can be a little bit of a moving target, but because you can get comfortable with some of those things. But I, I think maybe the most helpful thing is let's start with the numbers, because I feel like the numbers is where we started on this deal and said, okay, the numbers look good. Now let's dig into the secondary pieces of let's right. see the property. Let's figure out what the, the surrounding mechanisms of it are. Yeah. Will so that we, we can have make sure that Will we have insurance. Correct, yeah. You know, the basics that you, you want to do the numbers. You want me to do the numbers? Go ahead. So this is a package of 28 single family properties that were, that were under contract on, um, market rents right now are not, excuse me, not market rents. The existing rents right now are very low. Um, this is a single owner of these properties, self-manages the properties, hasn't raised rents in a number of years, deferred maintenance on these properties. And so the property is spinning off currently just over $12,000 a month in rent. So our, and, and as is, I believe it comes out to somewhere around a 14% cap. So right. our goal- well, based on the 820 purchase price. Correct. So our goal is to, and yeah, and that's where, that's where that number's coming in. But our goal is to go in, improve these properties- um, do some maintenance on them, bring them up to a condition that we can increase rents to market rents, um, become a better landlord probably than what's existing. Yep. And then have, these are month to month tenants and have people that are rolling on to annual long-term leases and hopefully continuing, continuing to renew annually. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, driving around the town and, and that's kind of the, the human component that was secondary, you know, this checked out on paper. Now let's go look at it. Yeah. And I think driving around. Jump, before we jump there, let's, let's finish out the, the, okay, the, uh, market rent ARV though. Cause that's what, that's what took us, I think, stamped it to say, let's go look further at right. the deal. So w- from what we're seeing, we think we can increase rents 
um, somewhere probably on an average of about three to $400 a door, depending on the door. And so where that would take us is if we can, if we can do that across the board, we'd be somewhere between 20 to $22,000 a month in rent. Um, and our improvement costs are, we're averaging about $15,000 a door to do that. So, um, the numbers work on it pretty well. Um, it's something that, uh, is also enticing to us from a standpoint of there is, um, opportunity to buy more doors behind this and Mm -hmm. grow and grow that portfolio there so that we, some of these secondary items that we'll talk about, we can kind of potentially either bring in house or we can, uh, you know, from an economy of scale perspective, get, get at a better rate. Well, and like we talked about the other day, like my big vision on this is, that Hallmark movie where the town has a Christmas parade <laughs> and we're in it because we've now taken these properties that That's were right. in such duress and given people an actual the, the most so, famous person. So stay in, tuned. In we'll town. see if that, uh, yeah. if that happens, but yeah, I mean, these are, you know, driving around. I think what, what stood out to me is we're looking at a lot of different properties um, in this portfolio that are all fairly similar, but driving around the town, when we know the market rent is almost double what these are getting right now, the other properties weren't that much different looking. Yep. You know what I mean? So we're not having to pour in, you know, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to get these to that market rent. We're having to in some cases replace a roof, which in Indiana is a fraction of what it costs in Florida. We're having to, you know, paint things just to make it look a little bit nicer, replace a few windows. But, you know, this, you know, people aren't expecting to walk in and see shaker cabinets in courts. I mean, this is, you know, somebody that's paying six, $700 a month. You know, that expectation is that it's just somewhere that's nice to live, that's safe to live, but yep. they're not, you know, their requirements aren't these crazy high-end finishes. Yeah, no. And I think, I mean, it's important too, because I feel like you know, everybody always says, oh, well, I'm just going to increase rents, but how realistic is that? You know, and I, and I think that's, that was a big, a big thing for us here on this opportunity is that the likelihood of that is actually very reasonable. It's not a stretch to say you can jump these at a minimum $200 a month and, and probably more like three to $400 a month. And so, um, you know, that that's something I think you really have to look out for because I, Almost every single property that I see marketed says something about increased rents, but then you dive in and you start looking at it and you're like, you know, maybe they're already at market rent, maybe they're above market rent, or maybe there's no opportunity in that market for rents to go higher anyways. Right. So. Yeah. And I mean, I think that this is one of those that not knowing anyone in particular in that market, luckily, you know, for us having the industry knowledge of, okay, this deal checks out on paper. Now, how do we make sure that we can pull this off? Yeah. So, you know, well, that's, that's what... yeah. And that's exactly why the trip became necessary, right? Because, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, before it's tough to make it, it's tough to make a decision without actually setting eyes on it and seeing and feeling it a little bit. Yeah. And so, and I think it also gave us an excellent opportunity to go up and try to try to forge some other relationships that are important. And so. Yeah. Pulling over. Hey, you do electrical. Cool. Here, yeah. you know. You know, and that's really what you got to do. Yep. And I mean, luckily for us, we just happened to kind of arrive upon a few of like the people that have been in the neighborhood for years and mm-hmm. years and they, you know, very well established in the community. So for us, that's a great, um, you know, a great contact that'll at least allow us to yeah. take it to that next step, which, you know, the couple items that are extremely important in this is property management. You mm-hmm. know, we're 1200 miles away. 
you know, venture to say most of these people are probably paying cash. Mm-hmm. The current landlord is not great with paperwork and, you know, organization. So I would venture to say that cash is probably most of these people, at least what they've been used to. So having somebody there that can collect the rent, yeah. make sure that, you know, in the case of emergency situation, they're there. Well, I think you also bring in the fact too, that it's local trust, right? Like, you, I mean, there's definitely an element of like small town USA where it's like, you're an outsider versus you're an insider. Yeah. And so, you, you know, there's, and the goal of course is, is that you get to know all these people and they become very comfortable with you, but we're still an outsider to them. And so I think you have to evaluate it from a perspective of local management in this type of scenario is very, very important. And so, you know, having the right fit as far as are these people going to be responsive? Are they going to have good contacts to use from a, from a vendor perspective? Um, are they going to be good about reporting around? Are they going to be timely? But, but I mean, as we've, as we've experienced in talking to probably 10 different management companies there, everybody's got a different rate. Everybody's got, you know, either we're have a distance problem or it's not really our, our bread and butter of what we do. You know, there's, there's always going to be some of these answers and you go into some of these smaller towns that, that are not like, it's not like going to Miami or New York where you're saying open a phone book and scroll for seven pages as to how many property management companies there are, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but that's a huge piece of not only, not only is it a huge piece of crunch, finishing to crunch your numbers out to make sure that that you know your your cash flow positive, but it's also a huge piece of you know if you're doing improvement work, you know that there's going to be a lot of hands on with that. Yeah, well, and you know what's funny is like this last week has been frustrating. I think for both of us with calling these different guys and or guys, girls, property managers, and them being oh, you know, I don't know if that's a little too far. In you know, it's frustrating because we're trying to get to who is going to actually do this. Mm-hmm. But in the same breath, it's almost kind of like a fresh breath of air. Like they're just staying in their lane. So I kind of appreciate that portion of it. Sure. You know, it's like, no, I don't want to overstretch. Whereas like in these, in the bigger cities, I feel like people will just take on, you know, absolutely, I can do it. And then they just epically fail. Well, and, and then you're mad. And, These people are very reputation based. Yeah, and that's what we kept hearing was my my, my reputation is all I have, and I can't tarnish that. Well, and I, that, I mean that's to be respected, right? Yeah. Like it takes a lifetime to build it and a few minutes to lose it, you know. So, I think those are those are important things. But you know, some of the other things I think we talked about while we we're up there is insurance. So, so we've got. We've got local insurance people working on these deals versus... Well, we're a little tainted being in Florida. Exactly. You know, insurance scares the crap out of all yeah. of us because we're like, whoa, are they going to pull out? Is there going to yep. be a hurricane? You know, there it's not... It doesn't seem like it's as big of an issue, which for, I guess for both of us, it's probably a little bit of a, you know, it's a it's a relief, but we're also still like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, because yeah. we're just so used to insurance being a nightmare. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, trying to find it on a localized level, they un- they understand the product better. They understand the issues better. It's not like you're getting, I mean, could we find a Florida-based insurance agent to write a policy on these? Probably so. But they're not going to understand the dynamics of that town, that needs, what those people run into from a standpoint of what claims actually look like on a regular basis. So the localized insurance is to me is a big thing as well. And, and I mean, I think you end up, you end up with better quotes, you end up with more realistic coverages. Um, 
But again, I mean, that all fits back into your numbers too, of course. Right. So, well, and I think for us, you know, just to kind of bring this full circle as to why this deal makes so much sense for us is the purchase price is we're buying at like a 13 cap, which is good. And going back to the very beginning of this episode where we talked about markets that are appreciating at a very high rate usually have lower cap rates. Mm -hmm. And that's why when you're analyzing deals in markets that may have a slower amount of appreciation, you definitely want to have a higher cap rate. So going in at a 13 cap with the ability to, to raise it into the 20s is awesome. But for us, I think one of the biggest factors is the fact that there's um, a lot of like EV, uh, General Motors has something going on there. Um, Solantis is 15, 20 miles away. So you start seeing these huge companies putting in a ton of infrastructure. Yeah. That's a driving factor that could be, you know, that drives the property values to go up over the next five or 10 years. Yeah. And I mean, again, back to that point as to, you know, you now have not only the cash flow, but we've got the opportunity for appreciation as the areas stabilize or or whether they're already stabilized and they remain, um, you know, a, a flourishing area to come. Uh, either way, you would imagine that your prices are going to increase as your population increases. And so, yeah. um, I mean, that's that's the best case scenario on it. So, And I think this deal, you know, Obviously, for us, great opportunity. But these deals, I think, do come al around quite often mm -hmm. for for people. And as you, you know, whether you're a seasoned investor or fairly new, understanding like, okay, so these are some of the factors I really got to look at. And I think there's really only a few that are extremely important, which is the numbers penciling out to whatever, you, you know, everyone might have their own, you know, box, you know, just like a buy box for a hedge fund. They have, this is the cap rate I'm going to get. Or I want this is, you know, I want to buy in a market that has some type of, you know, whether it's a manufacturing or tech company, yeah. you know, where there is an upside. But then, you know, understanding those other variables that like the insurance, the property manager, do I have a good roofer? Can I get a good handyman? Because those are the things that could ultimately be a, a deal killer. Yep, for you know, sure. You might already have bought it, but your profit margin gets sucked out because you don't have a trustworthy contact that's doing something for you and they're, you know, siphoning money, which happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and especially in some of these that have deferred maintenance, you know, up front, those costs are going to be front loaded and, uh, you know, it, it can, it can bleed you heavy early on if you're not prepared for it and you don't have the right people doing it because all it takes is, you know, one bad contractor and, yep. and you're, you're really, you know, in the red on your deal out of the gate. So, um, I mean, that's important. But, yeah, so just to kind of recap, I mean, yeah, you know, again, we always start with numbers. We And and as we said, the numbers vary a little bit depending on the market and, and where we need those what those uh, those rates to be. But um, the numbers are, are always kind of the leading point for us. And then, you know, as you, as you get comfortable and solidify your numbers, now we're looking at sort of some of these secondary things that, play into your numbers to a certain extent because they're, they're operating costs, but, um, also, you know, knowing your getting to know your locations and, um, getting to know your providers and, and the people that you're going to lean on, um, 
you know, whether it's insurance, property management, maintenance, whatever it is, I mean, those are those relationships at the end of the day are very going to be very important. And so, and then um, have your exit plan. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we haven't really talked about exit, but I mean, that's the other thing that I, I like about this deal is there are so many different exit plans. And I, I think that's the one thing that, you know, not the one thing we've done well, but when we do vet a deal, I think I can think of maybe one or two deals we've done where, where your exit strategy is limited to like one option. Yeah. Because you know? normally, I, I mean, for us, I feel like we look at it and we're like, we could, we could flip this thing multiple ways, whether we do a long-term rental or short-term rental, whether we sell or finance it, whether we end up selling it outright. Um, I mean, usually there's, there's a variety of different exits on those properties. And this is one of those that has numerous different ways that it can be exited right. out of. And they're all beneficial. Yeah, I would think that, you know, looking back, we definitely sucked in the beginning. Uh, <laughs> well, in the beginning, the only the only exit was to resell. Right. Holy you know? cow, we yeah. can make 40 yeah. grand in a yeah. month. This is awesome. <laughs> Sell it. And then now those are worth, you know, twice what right. we would have, what we paid for it. But that's just, um, I think that's part of the learning curve, which is why we're doing this podcast is just to try to, you know, as we've tried, and I wouldn't even say failed, because I mean, you buy something and you sell it a month later for 40k more than you bought it for and you didn't do anything to it is not a that's not a loss especially when you're talking about like a hundred thousand dollar property but we were laughing about it we were up in in indiana because those same properties now are trading at 300 350,000 so Mm -hmm. now it's a 3x return versus yeah and you know those are just some of the the lessons that we i think we've learned over the years but um yeah i think this is good because for us i know that there's probably been a handful of deals we've passed on because we were scared off by something that we didn't have any experience doing. Sure. So, you know, obviously you got to get the experience by doing things, but I think at least hearing from people that are doing it, maybe it'll give some confidence to some of our listeners that, you know, as long as you know what you're getting yourself into from, uh, you know, a list of these are the things that I need to figure out, you don't have to necessarily know that market inside and out as long as the numbers make sense and you know what you're looking for. Yeah. I agree. And I mean, hopefully this is helpful. I mean, I think, uh, I think, you know, the, it's when you break it down and you look at, these are, these are the items that we, that we really look at and and how we dissect a deal. And, um, hopefully there's some good takeaways for you. Yep. So now that we are here in studio, um, stay tuned for, uh, hopefully weekly, uh, episodes. That's our, that's our goal. So we're going to try to film a couple, uh, yeah. have like a little, I feel rusty. Right yeah, now. I know it's I was going to say, but it's good to be while. back. Yeah. So we appreciate everyone's patience and, um, till next time onward. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the legacy wealth code podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe now and never miss an episode until next time onward. Onward.